If you please open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 6. I'm going to be looking this morning at verses 30 through 44. Mark 6, verse number 30. The verses will be on the screen behind me. Please follow along as I read in verse number 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy them sell something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five loaves, and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And all those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we ask your blessing upon your inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, and sufficient word. Lord, take it and minister it to our lives this morning. Transform us deep in our hearts by the truth that it contains. For the glory of your Son, Jesus, and the good of his kingdom, we ask these things in his name. Amen. You may be seated. When I was in, when I was in college, I had a professor whose uh, who's teaching style uh, and the difficulty of his classes required meticulous note-taking. Perhaps you've had one of those in college or maybe even in high school or you know, graduate school or whatever, whatever you've done. This guy didn't hand out, he didn't give out handouts, he didn't give study guides, and he graded notoriously hard. My wife knows who I'm talking about. And if you didn't take good notes in his class, you didn't stand a chance, passing it, much less getting a good grade. And so I learned right away, this this professor was in the theology department at my school, and I learned right away that if... If I was going to do good, I needed to take good notes. And that taking good notes requires careful listening. If he ever repeated something, that was a flashing red light for me. 
And in my notes, I circled it, I started, I drew lines all around it. Anything that he said more than once, because it was definitely going to be on the test. Why? Because repetition means importance. It means pay close attention when something is repeated. And in our passage today, we find the only miracle of Jesus Christ that is repeated in all four Gospels in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of them. This is the only one that is recorded four times from four different perspectives. And so this must mean then that this miracle was uniquely significant to the ministry of Jesus. And so we need to approach it very carefully and very attentively. The feeding of the 5,000 which, by the way, uh, verse 44 says was only the men. That was the way they, they counted. They reckoned numbers back then, reckoned the size of crowds. So when you add in their wives and their children, this, this crowd could have easily been 10,000, 12,000, even more. Okay? This was a spectacular... Feeding 5,000 was spectacular enough. But when you do the math... 10,000, 12,000, 15,000. Some scholars and commentators even say it could have been as high as 20,000 people. This was a spectacular miracle that teaches us about the uniqueness of Christ, who He is. Nobody else can do things like this. But this miracle also teaches us about ourselves. That we are a desperately needy people. We are the ones needing bread this morning. We need the miracle of multiplication this morning. And most of the time, we don't even recognize just how needy that we really are. And in this neediness that we all have and we all share, this miracle shows the tender heart of Jesus Christ toward our fallen and frail humanity and that He is all-sufficient. And He alone is all-sufficient for every weakness or every need that we may have. So I want us to look together at this very important miracle, so important that it was recorded four times in the New Testament. And I want us to see, first of all, that Jesus compassionately leads us to rest. He compassionately leads us to rest. You notice how I just repeated that? Verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. His disciples were returning from their brief ministry tour that Mark mentioned earlier in chapter 6. I want to say verse 7 to 13 or something like that. And they were no doubt excited about what they had done. They were reporting all that they had done and taught, Mark says. But guess what? They were tired. They were tired. Why? Because ministry is hard work. Especially this kind of ministry. In very much a time and culture much different than our own. Hard work. I once heard... Someone say about his, <laughs> not in this church, okay, nobody's ever said this to me anyway. 
I haven't heard this, but, but someone once said uh, about his pastor's salary, he said, that's good money for only working one day a week. But I doubt that the apostles would agree with that. You see, ministry is warfare. This is war. Whether we realize it or not, what's going on inside these four walls right now, this is war. It is a fight against the world, against the flesh, and the devil every single day for the souls of men, and it will wear you out. And Jesus was acutely aware of their exhaustion, perhaps even more than they were. No doubt they were filled with the adrenaline of being able to do all these miracles and preach these marvelous truths that He had empowered them to do. It was His strength, His power they had. And so they were on this, no doubt, buzzed, if you will, from this ministry tour. And they didn't realize how tired they were, most likely, but Jesus knew. And so he calls them to steal away to a desolate place for rest. All four gospel writers emphasize this. Matthew and Luke say they withdrew from the crowds. Matthew or Mark and John say they went away. They got away. Jesus called them away. He made them go away. But there's something else here under the surface that we need to understand in this episode. You see, if you remember from last week, what happened? John the Baptist was murdered by Herod. And Jesus had just received word of his brutal death. Matthew 14, verse 12 says, John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. You see, Mark doesn't give us that detail, but but Matthew does. And then in verse 13 of Matthew, of chapter 14, he says, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. This is the setting. This is the context. No question, Jesus was deeply grieved. by the news of the brutal death of his cousin. Let us not forget that. John the Baptist was his cousin. Jesus heard of his beheading, and no doubt he was, he was sorry. He was sad. He was grieved. And he wanted to take his disciples. Those men in that close circle of friendship and just get away for a little while. Just get away from it. And friends, this should be a great comfort to us this morning because here the eternal Son of God in His humanity is fully identifying with the reality of life in a fallen sinful world where really bad things happen, where really bad things happen to people that we love. Jesus knows our sorrows. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our limitations. He knows how much we can take, even when we don't even know that much. And He compassionately leads us to rest. Come away to a desolate place and rest a while. That's what He's saying this morning. 
I wonder, friends, what do you need rest from today? I think if we're honest, most of us need rest from just trying to live every single day apart from total dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not out there raising people from the dead. We're not out there healing people, preaching the gospel all over the place like the apostles were. They were tired from the work of ministry. We're tired from trying to do everything in our own flesh. Let's be honest. And so this passage then is both an encouragement that Christ understands our weakness. He understands our limitations, but it's also a rebuke for daring to even try to live a single day in the power of the flesh. Is that what we're doing, friends? Are we trying to live in this fallen sinful world apart from the divine daily enabling of the Holy Spirit? It leaves us in a state of constant spiritual, mental, even physical exhaustion. You wake up in the morning crying out to the Holy Spirit for divine grace. Power and strength just to get through the day. Friends, we need to follow Christ to that desolate place that He is calling us to. To be alone with Him. (laughs) No one else but Jesus. And to rest. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you need rest this morning? Are you tired of the stressful, unrelenting demands of life? Are you worn out from the responsibilities of family, responsibilities of work? Are you worn out from ministry? Just because you're not a pastor or an evangelist or a church leader doesn't mean you're not in ministry. And it can wear you out. Just the mental anguish over the souls of the lost that are just pouring into hell will wear on you. Friends, not everything that claims to be necessary in our lives, all those things that seem to demand our attention all the time, not everything that claims to be necessary is actually necessary. So be willing to let some of that junk just go. And follow Christ to that desolate place that is free of distraction, that is free of worldly noise and find rest in His presence. Secondly, we see in our text that Jesus compassionately teaches us truth. He compassionately teaches us truth. Verse 33 says, Now many saw them going and recognized them, and and they ran there on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them, and When he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. 
You see, this crowd, this is, this is an amazing crowd here, church. Let's give them credit. They actually run ahead of Jesus and his disciples. And they get there before they do. And though they are tired, and though Jesus, no doubt, is grieving his cousin John, his tender heart is pricked, and it reaches out to these wandering, needy people who, he says, are just like sheep without a shepherd. He was not annoyed or frustrated like we so often are. You ever been there? You have been here? All you want to do is just unplug. You want to disconnect. You want to, you want to rest. But here comes another need. Here comes another phone call, another request, another text. I hate those text messages. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Another demand for our attention. But once again, Jesus is not like us, is He? He excels at every point in which we fail. And when we fail to respond to those who are reaching out for our attention, (laughs) we can look to Christ because He looks on us with tender compassion, doesn't He? We look on each other with frustration. Oh my goodness, are you asking me this again? Are you serious? I've already told you this three times, but not Jesus. He is compassionate. He is tender. A.W. Pink notes that one of the the, uh, distinctives of of, of Mark's portrait of Christ is how he serves with great tenderness. Mark always shows the compassionate side of Jesus responding to the broken condition of fallen sinful man. You know, I can think, this is Mother's Day. I think of my own mother. She was always so tender, so compassionate. My dad, he different. He was a different story. But not my mom. Verse 34 They were, Mark says, like sheep without a shepherd. They had been scattered and abandoned by their shepherds, by the unfaithful shepherds of Israel who had only weighed them down with man-made legalistic traditions. We We still see this very thing in our own day, don't we? Religious leaders who see the ministry as a career instead of a calling, Charles Spurgeon used to tell his students, if you can do anything else, do it. If this is a job for you, it's not for you. This is a calling. But many still in our days see it as a career. Leaders who are often more concerned about getting everyone's life all cleaned up according to their list of do's and don'ts instead of teaching them grace and truth in Jesus Christ. Friends, the sheep, that's that's you and and me. (laughs) We need shepherds who will give us Jesus. That's what struggling wanderers need. Not the opinions of fallible man, 
We don't need the prevailing worldview of the culture. We don't need the talking points of the progressive left or the conservative right. We don't need a sermon series based on Oscar-winning movies or, or the, the latest top 40 pop album. Believe it or not, that's actually common in many churches today to preach on the movies and the latest albums. We don't need that. We need the truth. We need the truth in Jesus Christ. Mark says at the end of verse 34 that Jesus began to what? Teach them many things. He began to teach this crowd who had ran after him like a herd of wandering sheep. But I wonder about us this morning. Would we, you and me, would we be in this crowd who ran after Jesus on foot? You see, many in today's church are so self-satisfied, we are so comfortable and we are so content that we don't chase after the Master like we should. We'll chase after everything else but not Jesus Christ. Would we be in that crowd this morning beating them to the desolate place? Or will we be lingering behind? Jesus began to teach them. And in verse 35, Mark says that the day began to grow late. I wonder, would we be among those who stayed late in His presence? Into the lateness of the day, once our bellies started growling. You see, the disciples realized it was time to eat. Perhaps they felt hungry. Perhaps they felt tired. Perhaps they were ready for this crowd to go away. But not Jesus. He's there pouring in, pouring in, pouring truth into these sheep. Would we be there late into the day? I wonder many Christians can barely take more than an hour of church on Sunday morning. Much less all evening into the sunset. Is it because the service is uninteresting? Or is it because our hearts are just uninterested? Are we frustrated because the preacher is boring? Or are we frustrated because our hearts are bored with truth? I actually felt last week, actually, I felt like I needed to apologize to you guys after, after praying for so long. I went, I go back and watch the service every, you know, this Facebook is put on the internet and I go back and watch it, it's recorded. And uh, I evaluate it best I can. And uh, I felt like I needed to apologize for praying for 15 minutes last week during the pastoral prayer. It went about 15 minutes long. In fact, my wife told me, she said, well, maybe that's why I dozed off. Um, But then I read uh, this week of the 17th century Puritan pastor. His name was Cotton Mather. Maybe you've heard of Cotton, Brother Cotton. Well, Cotton Mather once apologized to his congregation for going two hours in his pastoral prayer before then preaching a 90-minute sermon. (laughs) 
And so I don't really feel any, I don't really feel so bad anymore, church. So, you know, it, 15 minutes, is that's okay, right? But do we come here every week saying, yes, my heart is hungry. Give me more of Christ. Or are we just here to check off the box? I went to church this week. Friend, is your heart stinging yet mine is? My heart has been stinging all week. Who would have thought the pastor would be rebuked by Mark's text, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000? We need the truth more than food, more than anything else, and we need it clearly and faithfully expounded out of this book week after week. Lastly, in this passage, we see that Jesus compassionately calls us to trust. He calls us to trust. Verse 36, the disciples said, send them away. You know, these guys seem like they're always trying to send somebody away. They want to send the children away. They want to send the hungry people away. Send them away (laughs) to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. What are shepherds supposed to do? Shepherds are supposed to feed the sheep. But here the disciples are telling them to go feed themselves. And Jesus answered them, verse 37, You give them something to eat. You feed them. (laughs) And then they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? By the way, that's that's about seven months worth of the average daily wage. 200 denarii. About seven months worth of Paychecks, and said, "Can can you hear? Like, I mean, I, I heard a little bit of, perhaps mild sarcasm in their question, as if to say, sure, Jesus, we'll just pull seven months worth of paychecks out of the money bag. That's not a problem, and we'll provide. We'll go. We, we'll just go and buy food for all these thousands of people. You see, Christ told his disciples to do what they couldn't do." <laughs> He told them to minister beyond themselves. And friends, I find that God frequently asks us to do the same. To reach beyond ourselves, to minister beyond ourselves. And I often say to the Lord, I say this, I said it last week when I was mopping the floor, grumbling and complaining. I said, Lord, why do you tell me to do what you know I can't do? And I imagine the disciples thought something like the same thing here. Why is he telling us to feed these people? We can't do this. You see, they only saw what they didn't have. And they forgot the one who was with them. I love, I love what one Irish Presbyterian preacher said. He, he said, they calculated without Christ. And friends, we do the same thing all the time, don't we? 
We look at what God asks us to do and we say there is no way. We don't have the resources. We don't have the talent. We don't have the ability. We don't have, we don't have. That's all we can see is what we don't have. When I think the reality is that we don't have the faith. We don't have the trust. We have forgotten who is with us. We don't trust Jesus like we should. I'm talking to myself. And if this is for you, then you can grab a hold of it and take it with you. We don't trust Jesus like we should, but nevertheless, He responds to our doubting hearts by showing Himself faithful, doesn't He? Does He ever let His people down? No. Look at verse number 38. And He said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. And, you know, Jesus, he says, okay, guys, I just sent you out on this ministry tour. You did things you never thought you were possible. You preached beyond yourselves. You healed beyond yourselves. You ministered beyond yourselves. But now I'm asking you to feed a crowd. You can't. You can't buy dinner for everybody. You don't have enough. I know that. But what do you have? Just give me whatever you've got. And interestingly, the disciples, they, they didn't have anything. They were, they were, you remember he told them in 7 through 13 of Mark 6, don't take, don't take, a, don't take money, don't take you know, a staff, just don't take a, a change of clothes, just go. They had nothing. But the Gospel of John His version of the account, his perspective, his eyes saw something. He he says that there was a young boy there, a lad, he says, with two fish and five loaves. The disciples didn't have any bread. They didn't have any fish. But they were able to find a little boy with two fish and five loaves. And what's the point? The point is that provision often comes in unexpected places. A little boy had the limited resources, friends, but Jesus had the unlimited power. And he was about to show his disciples and all those thousands of people there gathered in that desolate hillside just what he could do with so little. Verse 41. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. He said a blessing and broke the loaves. I wish I could unpack this. I don't have the time. There are four, we call them the the four Eucharistic actions. He took, he blessed, he broke, and he gave. He gave the, the bread to the disciples to set before the people, and he divided the two fish among them all, verse 42, and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and other fish and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men now friends the skeptics and the liberal scholars they're going to dismiss this miracle as pure legendary 
<laughs> but we know better. And frankly, they, they know better too. It was a spectacular miracle. Jesus said, you know, you bring me what you've got and I will turn it into something that you could scarcely imagine. Perhaps right now some of you are thinking about that old gospel hymn, Little is Much When God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. I like the third verse of that hymn, actually. It says this, Does the place you're called to labor seem so small and little known? It is great if God is in it, and He'll not forget His own. Feeding of the 5,000 is a great comfort to us. Especially in these uncertain times because it shows us that no matter what we have or where we are, Jesus loves us and He will provide for us. I want to quote, I want to quote, uh, I want to quote the 19th century Bishop J.C. Rowell. You know I'm very fond of him. He says this. We live in the midst of an evil world and see few with us and many against us. We carry within us a weak heart too ready at any moment to turn aside from the right way We have near us at every moment a busy devil watching continually for our halting and seeking to lead us into temptation. Where shall we turn for comfort? What shall keep faith alive, Bishop Rao says, and preserve us from sinking into despair? There is only one answer. We must look to Jesus. We must think on His almighty power and the wonders of old time. We must call to mind how he can create food for his people out of nothing and supply the wants of those who follow him, even in the wilderness. And as we think these thoughts, we must remember that this Jesus still lives, never changes, and is on our side. Friends, are we looking to Jesus this morning despite whatever else is going on around us or how much we might lack? Church, we must learn to trust Christ regardless of our circumstances. (laughs) Oh, that instead of always seeing what we don't have, whether in life, whether at home, whether at work, whether at church, Instead of always seeing what we don't have, we would remember just who is with us. But you may be here this morning, or you may be watching online and have never trusted in Christ. Let me say this to you. The Bible says that you are a sinner who stands under the just condemnation of a holy God. 
And if you die in your sin, you will spend eternity in the torment of hell. I know that's hard to hear. I know that the internet skeptics mock it, but they know it's true. They know it's true too. But here's the good news. The eternal Son of God, this man that we've been talking about all morning, the eternal Son of God, He came to this world in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. He was a historical person. He literally, physically walked this earth. The flesh of His feet touched the dirty roads of Jerusalem. He lived a perfect life in your place, in my place. He died for sins that were not His own. So that if you turn from your sin, and not only your sin, also your self-righteousness. If we would turn from our sin and self-righteousness, if we would trust in Him, we will be forgiven and made right with God. But friends, you must repent and believe this gospel which I have just described for you. You must repent and believe. And friend, Mother's Day, the Lord's Day, whatever day it is, do it right now, today. Let's pray together.